0: On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.
1: You're listening to The Jan Price Show, and today my guest is writer, director Jeffrey McHale, and we're talking about his latest documentary entitled You Don't Know Me, and know me is spelled N O M I. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Hey.
0: Hey Jan, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Oh, Well, this was a very intriguing documentary. <laughs> very intriguing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I have to dis- full disclosure. I don't even remember the movie Showgirls at all. So oh, wow. I, I oh, don't wow. know. I might I might have been in some other you know alternative universe in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> I don't a lot
0: remember.
1: was going on in '90. A, a lot was happening. <laughs> yes, in '95. So I was fascinated by this, having not had any experience uh, with this oh, movie wow. at all. In fact, I now want to go watch it. So after afterwards, I, 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 after this, I definitely want to go watch the movie. So tell, so our audience knows what we're talking about. Why don't you give a little quick premise of what your documentary is about and um so they have an idea of what we're talking about yeah
0: so it's a deep dive into the 1995 uh cult classic it was um directed by showgirls was directed by paul verhoeven he had recently come off of um basic instinct which, which was a huge hit and prior to that he did robocop in total recall and um this was one of the the first big budget nc 17 films that got greenlit and it opened to scathing reviews angry angry audiences, and it just kind of went down in film history as, you know, one of the, quote, worst movies of all time, but slowly, over the last 25 years, it has built up a a very loyal and passionate cult following, and I wanted to explore that for the afterlife of it.
1: So how did you come to this project? Was this something was Showgirls a a movie that you felt had been maligned in 1995 and that it had been resurrected, or did you just follow that this had become a cult classic and decided to explore that?
0: I have been a fan of Showgirls since I've seen it, so it was, uh, I came to it late, it was after it, it had already kind of become a queer cult classic Um, So I, I saw it about 10 years. Uh, after it had come out And I It just You know From the first few minutes It was just I was drawn to it Um It Was one of those Things that You know I, I, I was given the premise That this is so bad You have to watch it And we watched it right then You know With a friend uh Late night In the Chicago apartment You know Which I think Meant how Many people have viewed Showgirls You know A friend sits them down And is like You have to watch this And your mind is going to be blown Um And so I think It was one of those Things that it it, it is just such a unique viewing experience because there's just so many questions that run through your head. I mean, there's nothing like it. It's so over the top. It's so um, you know vulgar. It's so uh, erratic. It's beautiful at the same time too. And it's one of those films that you know it was reviled and 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 vilified you know for its 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 language and it's you know the nudity and everything. But it's one of those. It succeeded because of all of the failure. You know they they succeeded in a very strange way, and that makes it um, you know quite a wild ride for um, from a viewing standpoint.
1: Yes, I it, it, well just from the documentary it looks like it's a wild ride from a viewing standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the I found it uh there were so many things that were just so interesting in your documentary. I loved how you uh interwove uh many of Paul Verhoeven's movies that, you know, and and how how there were several scenes in a number of his movies that were the same. <laughs> That he had, was repeating himself. Um, so, what what was your conclusion about that? I mean, how did you when you were doing this? What made? How did you discover? Because that's you know, you have to really be a, a huge fan of Paul Verhoeven's uh, films and studied him to realize that he has these same kind of themes um, that he started off with. You know, in in uh, Holland when you first started making films.
0: Yeah, and that was one of the fascinating things about the process for me. You know, I am a television editor. By trade and so when I started this it Initially, just started as I, I, I'm just curious, you know. I want to just kind of get a better understanding of my own kind of strange fascination with this movie, and, and I just started consuming um, everything that had been written about it. You know, all the reviews. All you know, there have been a couple books. Um, you know, uh, there was a, a book of poems. Uh, you know, a deep dive into the you know the filmmaking side of it. There was Paul Verhoeven's essays about it, and so what i found was just a really interesting uh diverse viewpoint about this kind of uh really controversial and complicated film that i think we're still kind of the 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 it, it's had an evolving you know uh response to it and i think that it continues to evolve and so part of you know the research included i thought well, i have- had to go sit down and watch all of Paul Verhoeven's earlier films because you know I had only been familiar with his American blockbusters, you know, the Starship Troopers and Total Recalls and, and Basic Instinct and stuff like that. And so I when I went back and, and started watching all the early films, I was my mind was kind of blown because all these strange moments and, and motifs that kind of stand out as showgirls as just a little bit odd or, you know, you're just trying to kind of figure out, like, what what's going on here? How, how did this, why, why is this choice? Who, who are, you know, what's, what's motivating this? It, it's all kind of points back to his earlier film. So there's these kind of running motifs, you know, throughout his whole career. So I thought this, you know, there was a perfect opportunity to kind of, create a new um, a subplot where Paul Verhoeven's other characters and his other films are, are kind of speaking to uh, our contributors and, and their experience and, um, you know, the characters and showgirls as well. So, um, We didn't, I didn't shoot any video for this. I didn't shoot a frame of video for the documentary. Every, all the interviews were done um, over Skype and an audio kit that I mailed everybody. So I sent them an audio kit in FedEx and we got on Skype. I helped them kind of mic themselves up and we talked for about two hours and then they would box up the kit and ship it back. And I did that for about nine months um, before I started editing. So
1: (laughs) Wow, <laughs> that's amazing! Just right there. Well, in today's environment, uh, that's probably it, the best way it, to do it.
0: Perfect, <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was more, it was just like, would you ever do it that way again? I, you know, <laughs> you get that question asked, the you know, during festivals and Q and As and stuff, and and now it's like, well, it might be a you know a necessity to to you know to think. Think outside the box like that. So, and I think that was one of the the reasons why I was able to to accomplish so much is because I didn't need a lot in the beginning. All I needed was you know, thankfully, the time and, and generosity of the contributors who I spoke with, um, and then my own my own time. So I, I kind of carved out time on weekends and evenings, and you know, set up my laptop and my kitchen table and just kind of started to kind of crack the code that was
1: showgirls so amazing so yes you were definitely ahead of your time when you uh this when you put this together in that in that way paul verhoeven uh, verhoeven is um you know there's interviews with him um why did you not interview him uh, for this yourself
0: yeah, I didn't you know, with something like Showgirls, I, I, I didn't the more I read and the more I consumed um the the writing about it, I, I felt like I didn't want to make a kind of traditional behind the scenes making of documentary, you know, and start you know, reaching to cast and, and, and crew and, and I, I, what I was interested in hearing the ways that, you know, everybody spoke about the film at the time. And, you know, I wanted to make sure to include, you know, um, press interviews and in the way that, you know, the film was described, you know, kind of before all the reviews came out. And I thought that the story really lied with the way that this film has lived throughout the last 25 years. And I thought that it it provided a unique opportunity to really kind of dive deep and some of the layers that, you know, don't always get discussed when, when you're talking about showgirls, and I think that's part of the allure and the intriguing thing about it is, it's just you know there is not one one definitive take on showgirls, and I wanted to to kind of you know analyze all of them.
1: Interesting, I mean it is it's a very fascinating uh, study. So Elizabeth Berkeley, I was very, I mean I didn't really know who she was. Like, <laughs> Never watched her saved watched her in Saved by the Bell. Um, and so I was kind of curious to know what happened to her, what happened to her career afterwards. And you and you do follow her just a, you know, a little bit. That, but did she just sort of die away from Hollywood for a long period of time? No. I mean, there were interviews with her, but did she ever do anything else after this? Because it really kind of yeah. destroyed her career, didn't it?
0: I mean, it, it, it was definitely, um, it put a mark on it for sure, you know, and I think it was probably one of those things that was hard to, um, to escape, especially when it had been that performance in that film had been so openly mocked as, as you know, you see in the film, you know, the way in which the film was reviewed and her performance specifically was just, you know, cruel. I mean, there's no way that that would, would count as, you know, legitimate criticism in today's world. And so I think, you know, she definitely had, you know, kept a, you know, a steady career after, after that with, you know, TV roles and, and, you know, smaller movies and stuff. So, you know, I definitely wouldn't say it. You know, she went away, but, you know, it will definitely change, you know, having a role like that and having that much, you know, kind of negative attention and focus, you know, definitely, you know, probably doesn't help, you know, get other roles in the future. But she did work, you know, she was in First Wives Club. She had a role in that. She was in Any Given Sunday, you know, with Al Pacino. She did the Woody Allen movie, too. So, you know, she definitely you know, still continue to work and, and still does. So she was, they're, they're rebooting saved by the Bell right now. So, um, which she's a part of.
1: Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I, I was at the uh, 20th anniversary of the release of uh, Showgirls that there was the screening in which she appeared and really um, seemed to revel in being there. But it, again, it was all, it was what, a packed house um, when they did this Uh-oh. 20th anniversary screening of yeah. it.
0: It was a packed um packed lawn I guess you could say I was there uh, it was uh, it was at the uh, Hollywood forever cemetery uh, they do these screens every weekend in the summer here in LA and um, they there's uh, in the the cemetery in the middle of Hollywood where you know all these famous people are, are are resting today they um there's this empty I guess we want to call it null no Hill whatever thing in front of um, a, a giant blank screen and you know it, it can fit up to I think four thousand people were there that night, and I was wow. there. I, w- I was there all the way in the back, and that was just you know. I like to say one of the closest things I've had to a, a, a religious experience. I mean, it was just no one expected that anybody, let alone, you know, Naomi Malone herself would, would show up um and, and we would then watch the film with her there. Um it was it was beautiful. So um it was yeah, an amazing, amazing night.
1: I could only imagine, you know, to be there with her watching it um uh, would be yeah, exactly that.
0: It so, like you're a part of history.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, truly. And now here we're at twenty five years. Or so five years after mm-hmm. that, are there any plans um, to do? Well, now with uh, COVID nineteen, maybe not. But <laughs> were there any plans uh, initially about doing uh, a twenty 25- five? Year screening of this film somewhere and do something similar.
0: We did, you know, we we played um, a lot of festivals last last year and um and so I you know everything kind of went out the window I feel like a few months ago and uh, you know I I haven't heard specifically from MGM like what what they have in mind for the 20th, 25th anniversary. Um, but we did screen at a lot of festivals that did double features and, you know, we're still kind of rounding up to the 25 year um, mark. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, it's, it's kind of like the perfect kind of film to watch the documentary and then watch the film or watch the film and then the documentary. I, I say it's, it's not, um, you don't need to see Showgirls first to, to have, Enjoy, know me but it's required viewing at some point you
1: should no it. you don't and I can say that because i as I said I had not seen showgirls and I thoroughly was fascinated by your documentary about it 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 said it it made me want to now go you know see the film and which i intend on doing over the weekend I think um, nice. <laughs> so um, but it's it's a really um, the way you put it together it, it's just so fascinating I, again I, I go back to how you've you know put these clips together and and it and show enough of the film to get you interested. Mm-hmm. Verhoeven, Paul Verhoeven, did take uh, credit for in this one of the last interviews that you have mm-hmm. in the film for um, Elizabeth Berkley's um, performance mm-hmm. that he had directed her. I mean, here's a young actress, mm-hmm. and, and I think in, she mm-hmm. was interviewed too. Who, mm-hmm. you know, her first big feature, and mm-hmm. she's putting her career in the hands of a well-known director. I mean, he, had, you know, done mm-hmm. Basic Instinct. We talked about it in Robocop and many other um, films that he's very well known for. Um, and yet and he directed her to give this way way over the top performance Um, do you think he regrets that now or do you know from the interviews and of course he's changed his view of this film over the years too so let's talk about that a little bit and and, and also the way he directed Elizabeth Berkeley
0: yeah I think he um, and that was one of the interesting things was just seeing how the kind of defenses and the explanations from um, the casting crew the way they kind of evolved throughout the years, depending on kind of where we were at with it. You know, he was also the first director in history to, to show up and accept the Razzie award, his worst director, Yes, uh, Razzie award, which that
1: you know, was fascinating.
0: Shows, it shows where he is. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he, he even said uh, that night, you know, he'd rather, um, he didn't want, you know. He he's happy with the film. People are talking about it and celebrating it in whatever way. He's happy. He's ra- He'd rather that than it to have died on a bit video shelf somewhere, um, like he said. And so I don't think he regrets uh, anything. I think he probably he's given a couple interviews where, you know, I think he said like, oh, maybe I could have done this differently, or you know, he's he he's definitely thought about, you know, some of the choices he made um, on set. But I don't think he. I think he's probably happy with. Uh, where the film kind of stands in, in in history. You know, people are talking about it. People like, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, he's always asked about it in, in almost every interview, it, it seems. Um, so, yeah, it's it just um, I, I don't think he I don't think he regrets it. He even has said he thinks it's one of his most elegant movies ever. So, I mean, he, he's a fan of the film. And so yeah. I was found it really um I found it, at, you know, I, I respected his his uh, his decision to kind of take ownership for, you know, the performance and said, you know, I, I thought that that would work for the role of these kind of erratic moves and, you know, kind of just like violent energy, you know, that that he wanted Nomi Malone to have. And um, he directed her in that way. And I think he took, uh, you know, responsibility for that about five years ago.
1: Yeah. And one of the interviews that you show in the film, if you're just tuning in, my you're listening to the Jam Fry Show All About Movies and my guest today is writer-director Jeffrey McHale, and we're talking about his new documentary entitled You Don't Know Me, which is spelled N-O-M-I, and it's a about a cult classic film that debuted in 1995 called uh, Showgirls, and uh, so when at what point did you decide that you wanted to create this documentary? And how long I, did it take you too? So I want to ask you <laughs> two questions there. I,
0: I, yeah, it's easy. It's it's easy to kind of figure out when it started because I that uh, that screening that I was at um, was five was in 2015, so it was almost five years ago, and it was after that screening that i kind of started to kind of dive deeper and do my research and kind of figure out just my just figure out my own kind of fascination with this strange and complicated film and figure out why you know this as a member of the gay community why why it is that this thing is just kind of still around and we we still um celebrate it so i you know it it had been six months I, i started reaching out to all the people that had written about it um shortly after that and everyone was excited to to be a part of something like this and I um, I was inspired by other films um, about movies like room 237 and Los Angeles plays itself and they did a lot with you know kind of what what now fair use law allows uh, filmmakers it gives them quite a bit of creative freedom over over you know your your narrative and your story and, and I was really I found that really inspiring and I thought I could do a lot with that on my own before kind of having to bring in, you know, investors or all this stuff, you know, I was like, well, I can reach out and speak to these people and and, and figure out if there's something there. And then if there is, then you know, kind of keep pursuing it. So I, I kept it pretty close for the first, you know, two years. I mean, I really didn't even talk about it with some of my closest <laughs> friends. I was just like, well, just figure it out, figure out what's there. And then um, once we kind of got solid rough cuts, you know, then I st- started trying to find a producer to help me out. And I found a, an amazing producer named Ariana Garfinkel. She helped uh, kind of navigate the festival world and she got me um, ready to start submitting and we got... You know, we got accepted into Tribeca, and then after that, then it kind of everything else kind of fell into place. I mean, you're able once you're into a prestigious film festival like that, then you know you're able to have like the fundraising conversations with people who you know might not have picked up the phone prior to that. So,
1: right. right. What was the response like at Tribeca? The film? It was
0: incredible. I mean, yeah, it got. I mean, we got really great reviews because um, in New York, um, so we had lots of um, really kind of diehard uh, Showgirls fans there too. It was sprinkled in through some of the screenings. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was magical. I mean, it was a whole, it was a, it was just a crazy, crazy week. You know, we saw some other amazing films, met, met some very talented filmmakers as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and New York screens are a lot smaller too. So, um, that was kind of something I didn't didn't really expect is, you know, kind of just some of the small screens that they have around the city. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it was great. You know, it was it was it was it was great. <laughs>
1: Why do you think, Jeffrey, that this film has become such a um, a cult classic in the gay community? What What is it about this film? That appeals to the gay community. You know,
0: one of the um, the contributors that I spoke with was a, a poet, Jeffrey Conway. He wrote a book of poems about showgirls, and he kind of connects uh, showgirls in the lumps it into the what he calls like the, the trilogy of camp, which is the Valley of the Dolls, mm-hmm. Mommy Dearest, mm-hmm. and showgirls. <laughs> and that was just, you know, the, I was. Uh, you know, love those films prior to seeing showgirls and, and, and that kind of per- perfectly kind of encompassed, you know, like kind of the generational, uh, camp and cult films that, that we as a community kind of connect with and connect to each other and i think it's just one of those one of those things that you know we would celebrate these movies and you know go to midnight screenings and and you know we kind of work the lines you know it kind of becomes part of our lexicon and i think it's just a way that we kind of connect to to each other and something that we can bond over and obviously there's you know the the you know the, the glitz and the glamour i guess you could say of of these kind of sleazy like las vegas shows that are just immediately you know just I can't candy, but you know what? I, what I found was there is also something deeper that I wasn't really uh, aware of from my own from my own self. Like Matt Baum, uh, one of my other contributors, he had a whole video uh, kind of analyzing uh, Nomi specifically and her struggles as a character and her journey. You know, is something that a lot of gay people can relate to. You know, she mm-hmm. left this, her small town um, and moved to the big city to pursue her dreams, which you know I can definitely relate to. And you know the way that she Kind of uses her kind of sexuality to you know to get ahead and 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 the bonds that she makes with people um there is something deep there on, on like a, on a deeper level that i think that um, a lot of people might not realize but i think that we we identify with you know her and her journey
1: what would you it, it, i mean it just it is it's interesting that it, it has become that but okay so you you, you in your in your documentary. Um, you do talk about, uh, Valley of the Dolls and, um, Mommy Dearest, and you put mm-hmm. them, you know, the, these are different, um, decades, uh, each one within <laughs> their own decade as, you know, really considered like this one was, uh, you mm-hmm. know, some of the worst films ever made, and yet they've all become cult classics. So, mm-hmm. do you, having said that, do you, is there any movie that's come out since, showgirls that didn't get its due as a as a good Mm -hmm. you know movie that you think might become a new cult classic in today's world
0: i think we're definitely overdue um i did a little math math uh, with those three, and funny enough, those three are all 14 years like apart, uh-huh. and so I think I think that would have put us in like 2009, which we would have had our we should have had our, our you know the fourth installment of the chapter. But I think it's one of those one of those strange things that you know it cannot be created intentionally. You know, it. it some have said like, oh maybe cats will be the next, you know.
1: Oh, there old, you go.
0: <laughs> also, yeah. And, and, you know, the, I I understand that I. I can I can see that, um, that argument, but, you know, it, Cats was based on a, you know, one of the longest, you know, most successful running musicals of all time. And so I don't think that you can, can really compare the two. Yes, it is like a strange film. Um, but, you know, the musical is, is a little strange. And, and, and I, I don't think that that is something that um, will it, it, it's it's not quite the same. And, and I think probably the closest thing that they've we've had to it is, is the room. But even with that, it's you have a small I don't know, the Tommy Wiseau movie. Um, it was a small independent film. And that has, you know, a, a very, very, very um, you know, strong, loyal cult kind of fan base, um, people kind of celebrating it at, at midnight screenings and stuff. Um, and so, but that, you know, it was an independent film. And right, was a, right. it, was a, it was a big budget studio film. And so I think that the, the ways in which both of those films quote failed, um, are a little bit different. And, um, but I think that's probably the closest thing, um, that we've had since but i i don't think still don't think you can kind of compare the two
1: well i want to thank you so much for being on the show i wish you much success this is going to be coming out on um when is when when where can people see this documentary
0: yeah june 9th uh we'll be having our in-home premiere uh, on demand and digital so you can rent it on or buy it on itunes amazon prime fandango i believe uh and wherever else you know you kind of
1: Well, I highly recommend people watch this and then watch uh, Showgirls afterwards. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's been a pleasure talking with you.
0: Thank you so much, Jan. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: (laughs) Me too. Me too. Like The Jam Price Show on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at The Jam Price Show. Tell a friend about the show and also subscribe to this podcast on iHeart Podcast Network. Thank you all for listening
0: on PowerTalk AM 1460 and FM 101.1 streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.